Hello and welcome to episode 245 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm Wei Shen, your host, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey T, how's it hanging? Well, how's it hanging? Good question. You know, Eric Clapton once said, after midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. But after working three days in a row uh, past midnight, uh, I I think I'm just going to just not let it all hang out, but just, you know, just give in and just kind of quit the job. But (laughs) (laughs) But no, no, it's... uh, it's 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 been good, but uh, you know the, the positive note, Wei Shen, is that uh, I haven't had a beer in three days. Wow, that's amazing. Yep, yep. I mean, I've had a staggering amount of vodka, but no beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no. I kid, I kid, I kid. I've had plenty of beer too. Um, <laughs> But no, things are going well, Wei Shen. You know what? Things are going well because we have a great guest and a different guest for uh, the podcast today. But before we get to that, we also have some really good stories up on waterstechnology.com. That's um, right. You know, we, uh, uh, Joanna uh, Wright, Josephine Gallagher, and Hamad Ali, uh, our, our team in Europe, in, in London, put together an excellent story uh, writing about um, the consolidated tape that's looking to be built in the European Union. And apparently the likes of Bloomberg, Market Access, and TradeWeb are considering uh, uh, joining forces uh, to create a consortium that would deliver a a regulated consolidated tape for bonds in the EU. Um, Mm -hmm. Still a long way to go on that front, but it was an interesting story. And then on Thanksgiving, because apparently the European Commission does not care about America, you know, they, so Thursday was Thanksgiving for us here. They put out uh, kind of their first proposals uh, for what this these consolidated tapes would look like. Um, we're going to write a lot about, about that. Um, today is, well, we're recording this technically on Tuesday, um, November Wednesday. 30th, but it, right now it's it's officially December uh, 1st. Um, AWS made a bunch of announcements today. Um, NASDAQ is going to put their uh, matching engine for North American for the North American marketplaces, starting with U.S. options um, into the cloud, the AWS cloud. Um, this yeah. kind of follows the announcement made by CME and Google that we've uh, written about on WaterTechnology.com. I'll keep on saying the name. And uh, Goldman Sachs is going to create a marketplace. It sounds like it's kind of similar to what Bank of America and IBM are doing. Um, and FactSet uh, announced that they're putting 30 of their proprietary data sets into AWS Cloud. So uh, in Las Vegas, AWS has their big conference going on right now. So a lot going on there. So we're going to write about those AWS stories, but the beautiful thing at waterstechnology.com, in case I haven't mentioned the website name yet, um, <laughs> is that uh, we uh, we take our time with stories and we write deep dive stories. You know, We're just not going to do knee-jerk reactions. That's why you pay $4,000 for a subscription to us. But here on the Waters Wavelength podcast, you get the good stuff for free. And today we got uh, Gary Cooper, CEO and co-founder of Reapley. And he's here to talk about the circular economy, something that uh, you might not think has a lot to do with, you know, institutional investing and whatnot. But as ESG becomes a much bigger 
a piece of investment of the investment management process as uh, sustainability issues uh, really kind of take hold. These are going to be important issues. And so Gary's here uh, to discuss what is the circular economy, um, kind of what's the data issues around the circular mm. economy, because that's a big uh, kind of blocking point. And uh, kind of talks about, uh, you know, we talk about, he even talks about, you know, inflationary issues and supply chain issues. So stuff that you might not think has anything to do with what it is that we normally talk about here on this podcast. I think that you're going to find it pretty interesting. And if anything, you're going to learn about what the circular economy is and reuse and all that is good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that you all stay in and listen. I mean, you're here already. Why not? <laughs> yeah and it's it, it's definitely an interesting one for sure and i i def I, I learned something from it too so um let's get to it let's go okay and now i'm joined uh by dr gary cooper the co-founder and ceo of reapley gary thanks so much uh for joining us today thanks for having me so this is a different topic than we usually discuss on the Waters Wavelength podcast. We're capital markets, technology, and data podcast. Um, later on today, I have a different podcast uh, interview with uh, somebody from IBM about uh, the importance of mainframes as firms transition to the cloud. So completely different kind of subject area, but <laughs> I think this is an interesting subject area. And the reason why I wanted to have it is just to kind of get some ideas maybe floating in our audience's head. I'll ask about what the company does, but First, if we're talking generally about the circular economy, can you define what that means for our audience that might not fully understand what that is? I can. I'll give you a definition that my 95-year-old grandmother can understand, and then I also give you the current canonical definition. So the, the thing that I tell my grandmother is the circular economy is the economy, same like we have right now, but one without waste. So it's an economy built like nature, where there's nothing that we produce that can't be used, reused for the next product. Uh, so just basically economy without waste. Now the canonical definition set forth by the Ella MacArthur Foundation is that is an economy is built in kind of three principles. The first is that you build products um, that last longer, right? So you don't have planned obsolescence. Like you literally build things to last a very long time. You reuse materials that are already in circulation. That's the second pillar. And the third is that you regenerate natural systems by doing so. So if you build things that last longer with materials that you always keep in reuse, you therefore regenerate our natural systems, which we're completely depleting all the time. Yeah. So it's kind of the canonical definition, but it's really just a world without waste. Can we produce things? Can we keep the economy going without having byproducts that we bury in the ground somewhere or, or that we set on fire? Okay. Tell me about your company. How does it fit into this uh, circular economy? Yeah, so the circular economy has, um, I've written about this a little bit, um, kind of four main problems um, with it to scale and grow to the kind of um, uh, level that it needs to have the effect that I think we all hope it has from a climate change perspective. One of the key problems is technology. Right now, the world is about 8.6% circular. And our hypothesis is that the reason that it's not scaled is because you don't have technology the same you do in the current linear economy, right? So if you think about, um, I no longer need something, 
whether it's in my house, whether it's in my business, what do you do with it? Well, there's there's things between dropping it off at Goodwill, putting it in the trash behind your, your house, putting it in a closet. All those things don't connect it to the next person who might use it. So if technology can actually connect us to things, to physical things all around us, we actually start needing the trash and we stop needing the storage houses and we actually start needing less of Goodwill. Um, but the problem is we don't have technology that connects us to the physical things around us. We got this display clearly in COVID around PPE and finding PPE locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the key things that we focus on at Reaply is to build technology to help us find things that are already in existence um, around us and in a, in a way to reuse those items or to use those items that have not been used before. So that's kind of the key thing that we hone in on is building technology, kind of really power reuse. And kind of our bedrock principle is to kind of make things visible that are currently invisible to people. Okay. So let's see here. If, if like when I'm, when I was looking at your company website and just trying to do some, some just research on my own, from what I understand. So you have like, let's say a big global company. So let's say a big bank, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is out there. Um, and they have all this stuff. They have computers. They have chairs, furniture. They have uh, all this, you know, just appliances, whatever I have. Sure. And in this new hybrid work model, okay, mm-hmm. where your firms are going to look to lessen their um, their real estate footprint, um, exactly. their office footprint. That means that there is just going to be a bunch of stuff that's not used. Mm-hmm. So, how does Reaply technology then help a again we'll just use a, a global bank to uh, to use that that what they already have and kind mm-hmm. of maneuver that around to in the long run save money because at the end mm-hmm. of the day it's all about ROI right it's all about totally. how how are you just people want to do good for the earth people want to do you know these things but at the end of the day when it comes to business just save me money make things more efficient exactly so if you think of it. It's- kind of three three things that we would tr- traditionally help a bank in that scenario. But the, probably the easiest analogy is actually just to think about your home. Um, we, when, when we first started the company, we used to have this, this concept called sharing the sugar. You know, mm-hmm. if you were baking late at night and you ran out of sugar, what would be the thing that you would do in order to continue baking, right? You might look at another place in your house. You might ask your partner, do you know where any extra sugar might be? You might go next door and ask your neighbor if they have any extra sugar to spare. What you wouldn't do at night is you wouldn't go to Walgreens and you wouldn't go to Amazon and buy sugar and wait a couple of days. That's exactly how that bank that you describe in your analogy is purchasing everything. It has a a e-procurement system or some type of financial system. And every time it needs something, it just goes and purchases it. And everyone who has purchasing authority does the same thing. That's a very linear economy. What the circular economy does and what Reaply specifically does for a bank like that in the circular economy is we say, hey, what if we just mapped out all your available resources onto a platform and people shop from that platform before they went out and shop for a virgin or brand new material? And that way you start with what you have. And then we take it a little bit step further at Reaply is we start to connect you with your peers in your local community. So if maybe you don't have it internally, a chair or a mouse, whatever you're looking for. Um, maybe a, a school district or university professor or uh, a technology company 
who's a couple blocks away might have what you're looking for. And so you don't have to purchase it new. You might even have to purchase it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you're finding it in the community. So we try to make those connections, whether internal to a big company or maybe outside the, the, the big company in the local community. And the whole point is that you don't, we don't need new things. We just need to find the things we need. Uh, we don't need to own things. We just need to have access to things so we can use them for the work that we need to get done. So the, the circular economy just really tries to, to flip the paradigm of ownership to access um, and to consumption to, re, to use. And, and so we're just trying to like overuse things, right? And, and one of the things I always say is that if a company or if a, if a, a person can share their bedroom or their bed to a stranger, my Lord, a business and a nonprofit and a university should be able to share some chairs. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. I would imagine, because in the world of finance, data is king. You know, that's what everybody cares mm-hmm. about is show me the numbers, show me the metrics. So at Ripley, how do you show using, how important is data to the mm-hmm. wider reuse, you know, uh, efforts mm-hmm. and being able to show, all right, this is a good idea on paper. I like the idea on paper, but no, here is the hard and fact numbers. How do you come into that? How does your company come into that and show here's the data on it? Absolutely. So there's a couple of ways. So there's, there's a couple of data points that, you know, a lot of our partners and customers are very interested in. And then there's data that we bring to them that they would have never thought of. Yeah. So the, the, the first kind is financial. So most of the business cases and proposals that we write are a financial business case. So we think through how much cost, obviously, if we're helping you reduce your spend, that's a direct financial incentive. But even beyond that, how much does it cost your procurement team to go through that spend? Like mm-hmm. their hours. How much does it cost when you have to, if you're talking about manufacturer, you have to wait because now from a supply chain perspective, you have to get something from across the world as opposed to next door. How much does it cost to dispose of things that you're not using, mm-hmm. right? Especially if they're hazardous material. Um, so we basically add up all the costs. So if we're going to a bank, we think about maybe chairs and IT peripherals and IT equipment. If we're going to a pharmaceutical company, we might be thinking of chemicals and biologics. We add up all the costs of managing those things and we ask the question, what if you just reuse five more percent? What if you reuse 10 more percent? And we just, it's a straight, straight spreadsheet, completely financial business case. That's the data that our CFO customers and partners, our chief procurement customers and partners love. Now, from a ESG perspective, environment, social and governance perspective, um, and also a sustainability perspective, there's other data that's really interesting that we kind of provide. So that data would be things like, uh, uh, zero to landfill or landfill avoidance, uh, waste to incineration avoidance. Um, and then the embodied carbon, the amount of carbon that's embodied in those materials that you're reusing. Now that you're reusing them, you don't have to purchase them, meaning you don't have to charge more carbon to your carbon credit card or to the just emitting it. So we didn't say, how much carbon are you not emitting by reusing things? How much waste are you not generating and not sending to landfill because you're reusing things? How many trees is this, does this um, appropriate to? Um, and then from us, that's from the environmental perspective of the ESG. But then on the social perspective, we think about where are these items going that you are no longer using, needing that you're reusing through Reaply? So some, most of the time they're going to what we like to call down market friends. So they're going to universities, community colleges, um, 
nonprofits, um, small, medium-sized businesses, if you're a large business in your community, and they're going to help stimulate STEM education, new jobs, new work within your own community. And those are really powerful social stories to tell, which we also tell. So there's the financial data that's just a straight spreadsheet, literally a spreadsheet that we give to our, our customers around how much money we're saving them. But then there's all these kind of cherries on top, including sustainability metrics that I think every big business has to be getting, getting uh, geared to be able to report, if not reduce. It would seem to me, you know, listening to, to this process, it would seem to me that this is uh, a, a highly manual that you know you gotta gotta really sit down, really think about it, and go through these numbers. So, is that kind of the service that all right? I'm a company. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'll have one person deal with you, and then you kind of put this all together, and that's kind of thinking. Because, and is there a way that you think that this could be automated more mm. on your end in the future? I love that question, and it's exactly how we are currently thinking about it. So. You know, reuse isn't something you can just do with technology, especially for some of the world's most complicated companies, which were and big and kind of multinational companies, which we are very privileged to work with. Um, so we think about reuse as a solution. And so you're right. So when we when we work with some of the, the companies that we work with, they bring us on and we're kind of their reuse cheerleader, but also reuse coach, if you will. And we obviously implement the technology. That's the key cornerstone of how everything is working. But all the down market partners, logistics partners, storage partners, uh, recyclers, if things can't be reused, the whole ecosystem that is dry with nonprofits, NGOs, SMBs, other universities, we do all that on behalf of the customer. And including, we also help it with inventory. You know, we, we actually come on an inventory, and then, of course, we help with all the data. The data is part of the platform, but we also kind of bring those data into advanced analytics for our, our partners and customers. So so we really, um, we really take on as much as the customer wants us to. And what we're finding to your question is that a lot of customers say, hey, we got a recycling program, but we can't recycle our way to net zero. How do we figure out this reuse thing? And that's where we come as like, let us figure it out with you. So we don't just like, you know, sell you and drop a technology package. We actually really try to help you achieve an outcome and a goal that we all, every community needs. I would say in the future, it does get more automated. And the reason it gets more automated is kind of to your earlier question, which is around the data aspects. So as we get more items onto the platform and we know how those items are being used, how they're being reused, how many times they can be reused, what their price is, there's no Albanek for secondary market things in the business world, all those things, we can start to help organizations predict the procurement, predictive obsolescence, predictive recycling, um, and start to suggest when they should be moving things through a, a circular system as opposed to putting them in the warehouse. So there's just a lot of unknowns right now in the market, so people hoard onto things. But if you actually knew, hey, in nine months, you can actually sell that or donate that through this channel, then you might think about how to manage your assets and your resources and your company a lot better. So, and that would prevent us from having piles of things and warehouses full of things. So I would say in a couple of years, data will be one of the biggest beyond our marketplace, beyond the software itself. I think data would be one of the biggest values that we can add to um, any business or organization's life. Okay. Let me ask you this. So, you know, you you went to school, you know, engineering, mathematics, 
Um, yeah, I was looking here, a doctor of, of philosophy, neuroscience, Northwestern. You know, these aren't things that naturally, you know, this isn't your environmental <laughs> science uh, uh, degree or anything like that you, that you traditionally see. So for you, what was the epiphany? What was the inf uh, the inspiration that led you down this that led you down this path? Yeah. So <laughs> yes, it's it's definitely not a normal. I I did my in my career planning report at Northwestern. My graduate work said uh, I'd be in climate work. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, six years after graduation. So it was pretty natural. And you know what? My story is the common story in sustainability right now. There are so many people in finance who are now in sustainability or who are in gaming and now sustainability. And really, and it's, it's something that I've said a lot, is I think in the very near term future, every job will be a climate job. In some way, everyone will be working to sustain the only rock that we know how to live on. My personal journey came about in just seeing um, resource misallocation. So I was at Northwestern. I happened to be in a very well-funded lab. In fact, probably the most well-funded lab at the university, one of the most funded labs in the nation. Um, across the hallway, there were friends of mine who were in junior faculty labs who were just getting started. started. And I would go to lunch with those graduate students and they would say things like, man, if I had this microscope or this lens or this antibody, I'd be able to do these test experiments and then maybe we could afford an investment in those items if they worked in those test experiments. And I'm sitting there thinking, we literally have the things that you're asking for on like a shelf of a shelf of a shelf, right? Like in a place that we don't even care about it because we just, we were resource rich. Um, and so I just went to my faculty, um, my thesis advisor, and I asked him if I could just start sharing the stuff that we seemingly didn't need with our friends across the hallway. And he's like, yes, good idea. You know, I don't care. <laughs> you didn't care. Um, and so I did that. And the way that I did that was I got a cart and I put the stuff that we no longer needed on the cart and I pushed it around the floor a couple times a month and just redistribute the stuff that we didn't need to other labs that could use it. Turns out other people at Northwestern started doing the same thing on their floors. Um, unbeknownst to me now, uh, then, now I know this. And um, and so people just started sharing, you know, and I went off and did work in consulting and supply chain issues. Um, and I would get emails two, three years after I left Northwestern, like, hey, Gary, where's the car? We're looking for this or that. And it, it, it turns out that, you know, when you have one guy pushing around a cart on one floor, it's not really a skilled solution. So I kept thinking about how do you, how would one, you know, have something that was more than my kind of single point of failure. So that's where I thought software could be helpful. But I wasn't thinking circular. I knew nothing about circular economy. I knew nothing about sustainability. I was just like, should we just be sharing the stuff that the taxpayers have bought that are in the back rooms that are going to go to the landfill or going to go to some hazardous waste field at some point? And so it was pretty organic. Um, and so I, I say now, over the last six years running Reapley, I've done my second PhD in sustainability but I've learned I've learned all about this, but I think it's um it's a common thing that we all should be asking is like what can we do in our small corners, small circles of the world to make our communities and our workplaces a little bit more sustainable? And my my answer was one that I think should be applicable to every organization. So we build a company. All right. And you know, to look at maybe current events, looking at the economy right now, um, you know, there are supply chain issues, there's um, uh, uh, inflationary issues right now. 
can reuse, can the circular economy help with some of those burdens there? Absolutely. There is an article, there's a couple articles, one in Bloomberg and a couple other in financial uh, uh, publications just recently about farming equipment. And both from a supply chain perspective, obviously the supply chain struggles that we have globally are well documented. So having local supply chains really helps. Um, but beyond that, um, it's expensive because of the the current uh, the current levels of inflation, both that we have, but that, that are also forecasted. So it turns out that being able to reuse secondhand goods actually is anti-inflationary. And so what these articles were laying out is that farmers who are very tight, you know, from a margin perspective, sure. are choosing to borrow, rent, or buy secondhand farming equipment and not choosing to buy that brand new. I think that type of trend is going to predominate, both in a, in a period like this from an inflationary perspective, but just in general. Because again, if I can find something for cheap that's closer to me and it still gets the job done, why would I choose to buy something that takes longer and that is way more expensive, even dollar adjusted? So um, being reusing things, being circular is a strategy actually against global uh, inflation. So it has, again, circular economy, circular has many beneficial economic outcomes. This is one. Well, this is something that, you know, just is, is interesting to me because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm with somebody who cares very much about the reuse economy, she works in the reuse economy, cares about the environment. And a big problem that I have with the, let's just say the ESG space, we'll just call it the ESG, mm -hmm. as this massive umbrella term, right? Um, is, you know, you, you have like the uh, the COP uh, meeting in Scotland and there's all these, you know, if, if we don't do this and these massive, massive problems. But for me, the biggest problem that I have with, when I when I talk, especially with, with like listening to people talk about the ESG economy and stuff like that is they don't care. It's just simple things that I feel like can be done in your local Absolutely. economy. We're, we're worrying too much I, it's good that global politicians are worrying about global issues, mm -hmm. but at home, we're not concerned enough about um, just simple things of waste in our own where we live. And like I live in, in New York City and you, know, you walk down the street on trash day, it's just piles and piles of stuff. Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like what I used to call it's like a shopping day for me. It's like, oh, that's a nice little bookshelf. Yeah, I'll bring that on home. You know, it's like, you know, do I can I get a car fast enough to get this thing back to my house in time? Um, and so it just seems like there aren't enough local initiatives. So for mm -hmm. you, from you know, now that you've been in this for several years, it wasn't what you intended to be in when you were when you're in college. What do you think are some of the how do you convince local uh, politicians, your your local Congress people, uh, a House and State Senate uh, people, as opposed to um, uh, the, the 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 senators and and governors? Mm -hmm. How do you convince them to take up more smaller steps that, mm -hmm. in the long run, can help contribute to improve a community? Yeah. So there's there's a couple of ways. So the, the, by the way, I love this question. So the, the first way is. Um, and we actually did a whole campaign last Arbor Day around reuse. We call it the reuse initiative. And the, 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 the first sentence of that whole reuse initiative was everything, everything big starts with a single act, mm -hmm. right? And it was exactly what you're saying is that we want to empower people to, if you're just doing one thing, that one thing is good. 
if every if everyone did one thing, that'd be good. But to directly answer your question, so a couple of things that we're doing. So the first thing is our fastball. So we're trying to bring we're used to local cities. So we, we we announced a big partnership with the city of San Francisco's Department of Environment, where we will be making a reuse platform for everyone in the city of San Francisco to use. So if you're tearing down a building on on the west side of San Francisco, those same materials can be going to be building tables and chairs and really interesting things um, on the north side or on the east side. Um, we are slated to be doing very similar work with a couple dozen of cities over the next couple of quarters. And we're very excited about bringing local reuse, partnering, sharing to every city, um, and then being able to measure that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where it kind of gets into um, where I think the impetus for local governments can be, is, which is people are going to start choosing places just like they're choosing brands. People are going to start choosing where to live where to pay taxes, where not to live, based on how clean the water is, how clean the air is, what the stances are of the people who are running for, for public office around sustainability, around climate. And so this is gonna be a voting issue that um, we're seeing at the national levels. I, I think it will predominate at the local levels in less than a decade. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, it can't be reactionary. You can't just have something today uh, or yesterday and then implement that today. It has to be something that the city is working up to, gearing to, because we, we really do have to transition lots of things. I mean, there is a lot of work to be done. It's doable, there's a lot of work to be done. So I, I think um, my, my call is that one, a lot of leading cities are taking up reuse and taking up sustainability measures. Look at your peers and we try to provide that data and provide those intros. The second is, this is a voting issue, especially for millennials. People want to live somewhere that they can raise their children in as good or not better than where they were raised. And then the third is, I don't know, I, I think a cleaner, more climate friendly economy is one where you'll have more robust GDP, GDP growth. Many studies have shown that. So if you have people who are unhealthy because they live next to a landfill, Instead, they live in an economy where we're trying to reduce waste. They're actually going to be better job creators and not have such bad health outcomes. So, so there's a lot of reasons why cities, local cities should be involved. And if not only the fourth reason, they live in the city, right? Local leaders live there. Would you want to live in a clean air community? Would you want to live in a community that didn't have trash all, every, all on every tree all the time? Um, and so these are just simple questions. They don't take a PhD to answer. They just really have, they take people doing one simple thing and, 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 and leaders leading. So, you know, you know, my job is to tell the story of reuse, um, to defend um, circular economy as best I can, and to get more people to adopt it in their, in their organizations and in their municipalities. Okay. I like it. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I got one more question for you. So at Reapley, you know, I would imagine much of you know what you're inventorying is um, mundane things, furniture, laptop, electronics. Um, put you on the spot, but can you think of what's the most uh, a random thing that you've ever taken inventory of that you uh, then circulated? Um, so under a, a tremendous amount of NDAs, but what I will say is that a company out west who has a lot of o's in their name um once posted 
Um, I think it was three football fields long marine grade solar panels. Okay. That's crazy. That's nice. I'll, I'll, <laughs> That's good. All right. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, I don't know yeah. what they were doing with it. Many people <laughs> wanted to know what they were doing with it. I don't know what they're building, but yes. <laughs> At least you get to reuse it. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, Gary, uh, I really appreciate you taking time. Hopefully our listeners, again, this is a little bit outside of uh, what they normally would listen to on this show, but uh, I think it was interesting and hopefully it gets them thinking about something. So uh, thanks for the time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me.